Listener Production. The following episode contains content related to depression and self-harm. If you're in need of support, check the episode description for resources or contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. As we near the end of this season of the Baby Lab podcast, let's take a moment to reflect on everything we've learned so far, because it's been a lot. There are a lot of theories about the whole evolution of music that relate to children and the relationship between children and parents. I use music when I'm teaching him basic routines. So, for example, we wash our hands before mealtime. And so when I sing that song... He knows. Yeah, he knows, Okay, it's washing our hands time. There's a lot of parent shaming that goes on. You know, this kind of thing like, oh, if you do more than this number of hours of screen time, you're a terrible parent. And I think situations are so different across different families. Them hitting it on the day is not important. However, them hitting it a certain milestone, like sitting, has to happen at some point, right? You don't want to just put it off until they're 15. Even now, like, I find if she stirs, like, it's not even a loud cry, but a stir, I still sort of wake up. I honestly believe that there must be uh, some connection that that is so deep and so strong that, um, yeah, I feel quite emotional. Socialising, screen time, milestones, music. The list of developmental factors that we've covered is really just the tip of the iceberg. And there are endless aspects to parenting that contribute to a happy home and a healthy baby. But before this podcast, when we put the call out to parents asking them what topics they'd like us to cover, there were three clear favourites. Breastfeeding. And the first hour for both mom and baby are when you're most alert. So this is a great time for that first breastfeeding. Sleep. You've just welcomed your new little baby into the world. And now that you're home, how do you get your newborn to sleep through the night? And mood. I thought to myself, I'm still best friends with people from childhood. I have a loving and supportive husband. I volunteer in my kids' schools and in our community. So I thought I was doing okay. I'm Emma Watkins, a children's entertainer and lover of all things science and research. And this is the Baby Lab podcast, where I team up with parents as well as experts from the Marks Baby Lab at Western Sydney University who are gaining valuable insights into how babies learn, grow and interact. On today's episode, we're exploring the foundations of a happy home. The topics we're about to cover come straight from you, the parents. And there's a reason they've been highly requested. Almost every parent at some point in their journey will encounter challenges with at least one or potentially all of them. My absolute first experience with breastfeeding was, here's your child, let him try and get near your nipple, see what happens. For new mothers like Linda, who joined us earlier in the series to talk about socialisation, breastfeeding may be one of the very first challenges that you face as a new parent. And when you've just given birth, it can be a lot to take in amongst the flurry of activity around you. I was still open from having a caesarean, so we are in the surgery. After that, he was whisked away and I was stitched up. And put into sort of recovery, he was placed on me to try and breastfeed. I have no idea what I'm doing. I had no one showing me or helping me. The midwife at the time 
wheeled in a TV, put a YouTube clip on and said, here you go, watch this. YouTube. YouTube again, like we in said, there. Dr. Google. Yes. YouTube, yeah, YouTube clip on how to wow. breastfeed. So I couldn't sit. I was still numb. I was laying in a bed, been in the hospital all day and it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to breastfeed or trying to get colostrum out. And it was hard. I didn't know what to do. I, You know, I watched this YouTube clip and the midwife came back in and I said, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. She said, do you want me to put the video back on again? I repeat. So that was my support at the start. During my hospital stay, I had a lactation nurse come and sort of say, okay, you need to try and get him near near your breast. I didn't know how to hold him. I ha- I am big busted. He just didn't seem interested. He wouldn't latch. I was getting frustrated. I was getting upset. This is all within, you know, so many hours of having him. It was straight on, you You got to breastfeed, you got to breastfeed, you got to breastfeed, you got to get that colostrum, you've got to, you know, try and pump, you've got to do all these things. But no one was really showing me how to do it. By day three, I had this lovely midwife actually come and tried to show me, but she did it for me, express some milk or colostrum, which William had. But during that time, we we were sort of bottle feeding because he was in the nursery with low sugars. And like I said, I didn't know how to hold him. I didn't know how to hold him properly. I didn't want to suffocate him, um, which I think so many parents fears. Linda isn't alone in her experience with breastfeeding. New mothers often mention it as one of the biggest challenges they face. And it was this realisation that encouraged Virginia Schmid to research this area of motherhood. I'm a midwife by background, but I have a role as a professor of midwifery at Western Sydney University. I had breastfed both both my sons and that had been a positive experience for me. And as a midwife, that was very satisfying, I guess, but... I sort of started to realise in spending time with lots of other women over time that it's not that way for everyone. And so, Mm. yeah, so I kind of studied this and looked at the sorts of things that were happening and going on. And so since you breastfed your children and and then in your experience seeing such such a range of different situations, what are some of the challenges that come with breastfeeding? What makes it concerning or difficult at times? It's such a new experience, particularly Mm. for somebody who's going to embark on breastfeeding for the first time. Pregnancy can be a very new and different experience and and challenging for some as well. A young infant, a newborn baby really does want to be held very close to the mother and to the breast for lots of times during the day. And we know that they thrive and do often really well when they're just close to their mother. But that is something that's hard for us all to sort of incorporate into ourselves. It can be extremely tiring, Mm. caring for a newborn baby and feeding a, a baby. At the same time as going through that life transition, it's really with support that we do this well. And women through generations have typically had mothers and grandmothers and aunts and sisters around them to support them. And, uh, you know, with, um, I suppose, industrialisation, but then really for us very much in the 40s and 50s 
and at 60s, you know, the formula industry started to develop. And really, I think women's confidence has been undermined in lots of ways. Do you feel that then historically over time, this, uh, I guess, discussion around formula has really been, I guess, that bolster for the busy life that we now lead? It is all very much part parcel of that. It's a bit chicken and egg, I guess, you know, which which may have come first. But it is all a very uh, a different life that we've lived. And it's a form of technology, mm. if you like, that can presumably make our lives easier. And you hear that from so many women. And the research tells us, and we know that the vast majority in Almost all Australian women begin breastfeeding their babies and many, many of those actually want to achieve that goal. Now, they may have varying lengths of time that they set for their breastfeeding goals, but the, the majority want to breastfeed their babies and yet within a few weeks, many aren't or have a, a combination sort of mixed feeding with formula and breast milk. Mm. And it's been very much marketed as the same or equal to breast milk, but it isn't. But it really is something that may be needed for some families and some parents at different points in time. And there are lots of you know reasons for that. Right now, William's drinking milk from a bottle and he seems very content. (laughs) He's very, very satisfied with that bottle. (laughs) So, Linda, how then did you navigate that pathway, particularly in that first month, in that crucial period? That first month was stress because, you know, I was getting the tiniest bit of milk and I had to bottle feed him. But, you know, you're supposed to breastfeed your child. You're you're a mother. You're designed for this, you know. You have to breastfeed. And and that's what I kept sort of internalising. You have to breastfeed. But why? Why did I put myself through that stress? Now when you reflect on your own experience, what then would you say to other mothers that might be experiencing the same thing? Don't. Don't feel that you have to. If I was only giving him the milk that I was expressing, he would have been crying all the time. I had to combo breast milk and formula and he'd have a big bottle of formula and fall asleep and be content because he was full and he was warm and he was dry and, you know, we did everything that a newborn baby needed. He needed to be fed and that's what was important. For the parents that would like some more information, can you tell us where parents and primary caregivers can go for more information? One place that people might turn to is the Australian Breastfeeding Association. Now, that may make some listeners nervous because sometimes you hear that uh, the Australian Breastfeeding Association may have, you know, a stigma associated with it, that they're not welcoming of mothers who may make different decisions on the breastfeeding. They will support all women with the decisions that they make. The other things that I think are really important to know is that sometimes if we have a really strong desire to breastfeed and it's really linked to our identity as a mother and we're not able to breastfeed for a range of reasons, then that can really impact on our mood and how we're feeling. And you could sort of hear Linda talking a bit about this. And for others, challenges with breastfeeding and stopping breastfeeding can actually improve their mood. So, but if women need any support with how they're feeling 
uh, them emotionally. Then there is PANDA, so the Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Association um, Telephone Helpline, uh, Gidget and COPE. So there are a range of organisations to help new parents navigate this time as well. If you haven't guessed it by now, the next response that we received most from parents was sleep. Sleep is an integral part of a healthy life, both for parents and children. It's vital for brain health, muscle growth and mood, among many other things. But every parent will have stories of sleep deprivation or struggling to get their baby to sleep. It was during COVID and we were all videoing each other and my group of girlfriends are really lovely and I was telling them how stressed I was about reading these sleep guides. You'll remember Carrie ann Copperfield from our episode about music. When she joined me in the studio with her son Kygo, he was fast asleep in his pram. I think the travel in here has been great for him today. He has just loved looking at all the people. I've just changed his pram from a bassinet to a seat, so he's, like, looking at everything. So, yeah, sensory overload for him today, which has been awesome because I was like, I need you to fall asleep as I'm getting into the studio so we can have (laughs) this good discussion. And what is Kygo's sleep at the moment anyway? I guess currently he's a he's a cat napper, what you would call. <laughs> um, loves a good 30, 20 minute nap. Oh. Um, and to be honest, this is not unusual for me. My first one was exactly the same as well. Really? Absolutely. And I, when I first had my baby, when I my first one, Axel, I was under the impression that babies were supposed to like sleep for like hours and hours. So the first six weeks when Axel was born and he was doing all these long sleeps. I actually remember the time where Ryan and I looked at each other and like were high-fiving each other like, oh my gosh, we are killing it at this parent thing. We are so good. And then it hit six weeks and it all changed. And um, Axel and both Kaiko, they both started sleeping for 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And I'm getting all stressed out because I'm reading these sleep guides and they're telling me that the baby should be asleep for one and a half hours. Like, he's only sleeping for 40 minutes and that's the first nap. Like, what do I do now for the rest of the day? Like, the rest of the day it's all, you know, jumbled and out of whack now and it was actually making me really, really stressed out. And this was in your first, with your first child? This was the first one, yeah. Right. And you had no kind of notice about that transition? No. I did all this research on labour. I was so down-packed. I I had all my research done for the labour. I was excited. I knew it was going to happen. And then the baby came and I was like, oh, oh, like I forgot the next part, which I think is quite a common thing for women. I think Mm. they just get so nervous about the labour that you almost forget what comes afterwards. I mean, the labour is such a short part of like the actual like having a baby part. It's the actual, you know, keeping them alive (laughs) is the, the, the difficult and the long part. When a child's sleep becomes a challenge, it can have flow on effects baby isn't sleeping, so mum and dad are up all night. And over time, this sleep deprivation can have significant effects on a person's mental health. Oh, I think sleep is a big issue. Oh, no. <laughs> How are we going to do it? <laughs> For all new parents. Dr. Karen Matic is a psychologist who works closely with parents to help them manage the stress that sleep deprivation can cause. 
Well, of course, the babies wake up a lot. Mm. <laughs> and as a consequence, um, parents' sleep is disrupted. And that is just a huge life change for everyone, I think, because you're caring for this beautiful newborn who is relying on you for everything. And you're also so tired because you're not getting enough sleep yourself. So cry fuss and sleep issues can be a big challenge for new parents with the wakings of baby through the night for feeds or just not being able to settle that can disrupt the parents' sleep patterns. So I think up until you have children, you don't realise what a bad night's sleep is. <laughs> and then you realise that for many years to come, you're probably going to be having not the same kind of sleep quality that you had pre-children. So that is a big change because sleep is it's so important to our well-being, to feeling good, to our energy levels, but also to our cognitive functioning so just being able to plan and and remember things and make decisions, sleep is so important for that. So when that's suddenly disrupted, you know, it just alters life in, in so many ways. So I think that navigating that is really a big challenge for new parents. It feels like it's talked about a lot. And I guess, as you mentioned before, as a parent, you don't know that until it really hits you. What kind of preparation can you give to parents or can they prepare in terms of arriving at this moment of your disruptive sleep era? Yes. I think it's hard to prepare for because even if you know that that's going to happen, <laughs> you don't quite know how it will affect you, I guess. But I think having open conversations with health professionals about you know, what's coming next it is sort of this big mystery. So like mm. pregnancy care is often quite focused on just the pregnancy period. But, you know, sort of having conversations about what to expect afterwards is also really important. And also, if you have a partner, talking with them about how you might navigate this so that you're both trying to get as much sleep as you can and supporting each other through that. You don't realise how important sleep is until you don't have it. <laughs> I guess the big challenge is when you are tired, trying to look after your family and trying to feel like yourself is so difficult. And so how do you manage that? How do you change your mindset and how does that affect your well-being as a parent? I've read a, um, a really interesting, like, you know, one of those quotes on Instagram and it was about when you become a mum, it's not about going back to the same you. It's about finding the new you as a mum. When I was going on maternity leave, I was like, all right, you know, when my baby comes, we're going we're gonna to have a set routine and we're going to do Sleep this now. and we're going to do this. Yeah. yeah. You know, you just got to roll with your baby a little bit. Like they don't have to stay awake for an hour. Like if they're starting to get tired within 40 minutes, put them to sleep. Like if they're not tired within an hour, let them stay up a little bit. Do you think that's really affected the way that you sleep too, even though I know you were mentioning it's very short windows with these two? Do you feel like you can rest better now? Yep, knowing that they're going to be up in 40 minutes, absolutely. Mm. Wow. In the day, in the day. At in night, day. We're, we're with Kygo at the moment, it's baby steps. He sleeps really well from about 7.30 to 2.30 and after that it's every, he wants to party every hour. The other day he stretched it out to two hours instead of one hour and I was like, I'm like a new woman. Look at, me, <laughs> look at me go. Two hour stretch. In terms of not having any sleep, 
How do parents try and fill up their cup in order to be primary caregivers? Social support helps incredibly. Mm -hmm. So if you do have a partner, engaging them fully in supporting you or having them take over that aspect of putting baby to bed one night, because it is, it's, it's a lot and it, it's draining. And if you're tired, you're not feeling as, as positive about your interactions with baby. You're maybe not as patient. So asking for help from others around you for that support, particularly if you're really tired, um, is important. So it could be a grandparent coming over. It could be a friend coming over. Asking them to come over and support you on those days when you really feel, you know, this is really hard today. I'm really tired. I need someone to help me with this. I want to be there fully for my child, but I just need that additional support there. I think that's a good way to help because there isn't a solution. It's not like you can magically just go to sleep. So I think it's it's trying to work with other resources that you might have and just feeling that you don't have to go it alone, that it's okay to ask um, for help from a partner or a family member or a friend. This brings us to the next big discussion for parents and really about this notion of not having, being able to fill up your own cup to help your other members of your household, you know, live, survive Mm -hmm. and thrive. How do parents know or recognise signs within them that they might be struggling? Being attuned to your feelings and acknowledging when you're not feeling okay is probably the best thing that you can do. It's really hard to soldier on if you're not feeling great yourself. You know, we put on a a brave face, we put on a happy face, but if you're feeling sad inside, you're feeling tearful, you're feeling down, you can put on this front, but that's not helping your overall well-being yourself. If you haven't heard of the saying, fill your own cup first, it's similar to the concept of fitting your own oxygen mask before helping others. Because if you neglect your own needs while trying to keep other people's cups full, it's going to take a toll. But sometimes as a new parent, your cup can just run dry on its own. Everything seems to be going to plan just like you read in the pamphlet at the hospital, but you just can't shake that cloud from over your head. I currently have a 14-month-old boy. We fell pregnant during COVID. That was quite an isolating journey. It was really hard. After giving birth to her son during COVID, which presented its own set of challenges, Julie struggled with her own entry into motherhood. And despite having done the research and after speaking to doctors, she couldn't help but feel that something was off. Well, in the first few weeks, I was told it was pretty normal to be crying all the time, which which I did. Um, I did have a lot of complications like cesarean infection. Um, I have an immunocompromised disease, which flared up. But I was really going through all the motions. Like I just, I felt like a zombie. I was like, do this, do this, do this, keep this going, um, tick this, tick that. But I, I was just trying to survive, to be honest. What did you do within yourself to find that moment where you felt like you needed to reach out to extra support? It was really my GP who first started the conversation at just a routine checkup and also my husband who made me bring it up with her. I was a little bit in denial. I'm like, I just, I got this, I got this. And he said to her that I should talk to her about 
how hard I was finding it and how much I was struggling. I'd had some thoughts of self-harm as well, thinking that I just wasn't good enough. And it was really my GP who who pushed things along and was like, look, I think you should talk to someone and just see how that goes. And my husband. Do you recognise the experience that you've been through and has it shaped the relationship you've got with your son now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, I really would have a lot sooner started looking after myself, reaching out for help. I I didn't realise how much I needed it. I always thought that I was strong all my entire life and motherhood has been the hardest thing that I've ever been exposed to. And I think this feeling of thinking that I was strong and superwoman and that I could do it all, because I could do that pre-motherhood, just sort of set me up for failure in when I became a mum because I just thought I really could do it all. So now looking back, I would definitely get the help much earlier on. Although she may not have realised it at the time, Julie was experiencing postnatal depression, something that affects around one in seven mothers. So postnatal depression, it's often called perinatal depression, Mm -hmm. um, depending on the period of time in which it uh, emerges. But it's also something that um, dads or, or partners might experience. It can begin in pregnancy and it extends across typically the first 12 months post-birth is when it's at its most prominent or when women are most likely to develop it after having a baby. It's different to the baby blues. So it's very common for women after having a child to feel quite down and quite blue in the first week to 10 days after having a baby. That's largely a hormonal effect. There's a lot of changes in hormones after a woman um, has given birth. For most women, that that resolves after that period when the hormones settle a little bit and, you know, they go back to feeling okay. But for a lot of women, about one in seven, these feelings of sadness, of, of questioning oneself, guilt, tearfulness, lack of energy and motivation, lack of wanting to interact with baby or not feeling like they're fully present as a caregiver, that can be problematic because it might be a sign that a woman has postnatal depression um, or a father. This is not unique um, to mums. It's also experienced by partners and fathers as well. And it's at that point that we would advise that you reach out for help so that you can get the support you need to get through this challenging period. But it is not uncommon for new parents to experience this. And you know, if these symptoms of postnatal depression are continuing, then that's something certainly that new parents should seek support for because there, there's a lot of help out there for you, either in a different kind of psychological supports, different support groups. In some cases, some people may be medicated, but that's certainly something that the health professional would advise. Along with professional help, one of the most important things anyone can do when struggling with their mental health is to reach out to those around them. And often this is the launching pad for recovery. I also found a mother's group through an online app. I joined up to an app called Peanut and it connected me to a mum in the area and she introduced me to her mother's group, which has been amazing. They're just such nurturing, supportive women 
that's been a really huge help. I speak to a psychologist I'm fairly regularly now. And I also do things for myself. Like I, I carve out time for myself to look after myself because I completely neglected myself within the, that first year. So I make myself do dancing classes and... Yes, <laughs> that is so good. What kind of dancing? I like Zumba dancing. Yes, this is great. Because he seems to like dancing. <laughs> like, you know, he does a little few little moves and I like to think that he was dancing in my belly. So I've, I've sort of really learned that I really need to look after myself. I know everyone says it, but I really need to look after myself before I could look after someone else properly. And what are the other strategies that you've been able to use to look after yourself? You know, you've mentioned dancing, which is so good. I'm very excited about that. But in terms of uh, health and well-being and, you know, your schedule, how do you focus on yourself in those areas? Well, I'm really fortunate because my husband encouraged me to make the most of daycare and I'm working two, three days a week, which means I get a few days off. So in that time, I'm able to do all the, the me things. So I also weight lift. I try to do it most days of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Depends. <laughs> so in terms of other things I do for myself, so I really utilise daycare, which was really hard for me because I had a lot of guilt surrounding that. So I've got the dancing, the weightlifting, and also my husband's really encouraging of this option. If I ever feel that I need another day, then he's like, just ask daycare for an extra day, for a casual day, just to take the burden off me. What about any advice that you'd give to other mothers maybe experiencing a similar situation to yourself or feeling a little bit concerned about their health at that time too? I would say you need to be the number one priority so that you can look after everyone else. That saying where if you can't fill your own cup, Therefore, you can't look after other people's and fill up their cups. It's so particularly true when it comes to motherhood. So you need to look after yourself first and foremost. And you deserve this. You are good enough. And that's it. Seek out the help that you need. Take it from anyone and anywhere who is willing to give it to you. I want to thank the mothers who shared their stories in this episode. And some of you listening may be going through similar experiences right now. Know that you're not alone and there are people who can support you. Check the podcast description of this episode for more information. And like Julie said, it's important to prioritise keeping your own cup full. On the next episode of Baby Lab, okay, next question. This is a good one. Can a co-parenting environment affect a child's socialisation opportunities? And what are some things parents can do in this situation to keep the socialisation opportunities present? That one's from Farouk. This is a question that I need to sort of ask more questions about, but <laughs> it's um, in general, kids of parents who are living separately do fine. You asked and we've responded. We're answering your top questions about babies and parenting with Baby Lab's resident expert, Sue Hesvos. That's next time on Baby Lab. The Baby Lab podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the Marks Baby Lab at Western Sydney University. Hosted by me, Emma Watkins. Audio by Kelly Fulston. Executive producer is Todd Stevens, and producer is Thomas Thexton. 
listener.